HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. I am sitting in a very, very cold shipping container in snowy Bushwick, Brooklyn, in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza. And that means a couple of things. One, we've just come through a huge snowy blizzard. And two, it is time for Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk to innovators and influencers at the intersection of technology and food. And today, we have a great guest, and I feel like I always say that, and then I always say, but it's always true. We always have amazing guests on this show. I am particularly excited to have David Pathalski here, because this is our second attempt at getting him on the show. The first attempt to have him on the show was about a month ago, uh, when we had a big snowstorm and got snowed out, and then this week also, um, oddly... Uh, we had a big snowstorm and, and got delayed. It's Today's actually March 16th, if you're li- listening in the future, which I know you will be. So snow seems to be trying to keep David from the show, but we finally got through the over the river and through the drifts and got him into the shipping container. <laughs> True. I, I can't, Jennifer, I can't tell you how excited I am to be here uh, amidst all the snow and the cold. I'm happy that we're doing this. I'm excited to be doing this, and I'm excited to bring some good messages to your listeners. So David and I uh, have met in life because we are both mentors and advisors for a New York City-based food tech accelerator called FoodX. And regular listeners of the show um, have heard that name before. We've had um, some different companies and founders on over the years to talk about their food tech startups. 
Uh, and we, David, David and I had a couple of really interesting conversations about his area of expertise, which is intellectual property and patent law. David's an attorney. And uh, in this day and age, being an attorney seems to be a super useful profession and area of specialty. We usually start the show off talking about apps, and we go around the shipping container talking about apps that we love, new apps that we've discovered. And I'm going to sort of kick it right off. The app that I wanted to talk about today was or is an app called Watermark Studio X, and it's a free app on Apple and on Android. And basically, it is a program to help you put a watermark or a trademark onto photos. And I thought, wow, this is great. We're having a show with an intellectual property attorney. We're going to talk about protecting your IP in the digital age and social media. So I'm going to come out of the gate strong with a free watermark trademark app. But then I realized I don't even know if that's actually useful legally <laughs> in the world. So I'm going to kick it right off by saying I wanted to share Watermark Studio X, the free app. But David, to you, our expert, is watermarking photos like that before you put them on social media even useful or relevant or applicable in a court of law? Yes, that's a really great question. So normally when we talk about watermarking a photograph, we're talking about protecting it under the theory of copyright, that it's yours, that uh, you created it, you were the original author. Uh, and proving that can go a long way. So watermarks have developed as a way of signing your photo as a way of, uh, of, of hiding your signature in the photo so that if somebody takes it, they can find out later that it, that it belonged to yours. So they do stand up in a court of law as ter in terms of evidence that you created it on such a such a date. But there's a lot more evidence that goes into that. So just because you think you created it the first time or you watermarked it on a particular date doesn't mean that there can't be evidence to disprove that. So the best thing to do is not only have the watermark, but also file for your copyright registration with the, with the United States Copyright Office. Very simple procedure, $55. You don't even need an attorney, and you can do it by yourself. And that, in addition to the watermark, should surely stand up. And I love apps like that. That's a, that, that, that's a pretty great one. Uh, there, there, are, there are other softwares that, that, can, that, that can do that for you. Uh, um, uh, PowerPoint does it, and... Adobe Professional does it, uh, but the fact that it's a it's a free app is a is a is a really cool thing. So it sounds like it's useful to use just as it is, but it sounds like it's the most effective if the first thing you do is to register your name or your company name or your brand or whatever the thing is with the U.S. Copyright Office first. Correct. And then use that registered copyright as your watermark. Co so correct. if I wanted to, um, I would register TechBytes with the Copyright Office. And ah. when we had TechBytes registered, I would put the TechBytes watermark on the amazing photo of you and I that we're going to take at the end of the show. 
And then when it went out into the world, it would be protected as tech bytes under my copyright. Ah, so two things going on there. So the photo would be would be protected by copyright because copyrights are for creative works, uh, for uh, art that's kind of fixed in a tangible medium. So the photo would be fixed on this uh, uh, on this photographic paper, and that would be registered with the copyright office. When we're talking about tech bytes and protecting the name, the brand, the trademark tech bytes, that's a different form of intellectual property called trademarks. And that you'd have to register as well with the trademark office, not the copyright office. And that's a little bit of a longer process. We definitely recommend exactly the way you just said it. Just just insert, uh, 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 register trademark, uh, register tech bytes with trademark office, then take photo, then register the photo with the copyright office, and then you, you should be protected all around. So two different things. One is to protect the name. Tech Bytes is a brand that you have a radio show that you're producing a service and a good, meaning this audio recording, uh, as well as the photo that you would be protecting of us under copyright. The amazing photo. Yes, the amazing photo <laughs> under copyright. <laughs> totally. <laughs> So these are just, you know, really um, some practical life experiences that we, a lot of us are going through every day with digital media, technology, blogs, anyone can podcast, anyone can write a blog, pictures we post on Instagram, uh, writing on Medium, all those kinds of things. There are so many platforms and services available to people today that the traditional artist and content makers are doing their jobs, but then there's also a whole group of the public who's making stuff and putting it out there online. So especially for the chef and restaurant community, it's such an interesting phenomenon now. We've done shows in the past on the effect of Instagram and Snapchat and things like that on the food world. One of the great conversations that David and I had um, off air, which I wanted to share with listeners on air, is what what can chefs do and restaurant and food people do to protect their ideas in the age of social media? So one of the famous, I think, examples and a good sort of test case for us to discuss, because everybody should be relatively familiar with it, is the cronut, the famous croissant donut hybrid created by Dominique Ansel. Um, pastry chef in New York City and it became a phenomenon people line up around the block to get it he's had a global expansion of his brand um, off the success of that so the cronut was posted online in social media and one of the first companies to copy it was a Korean bakery chain Um, and they copied it within days and weeks before anybody copied it even you know in the US or on the bakery level simply vis-a-vis a photo and this bakery chain calls it a croissant donut (laughs) and has different flavors and everything. It looks pretty much the same. So one of the age old uh, questions in the restaurant and food world is how do you protect a recipe? Yeah. How do you say that the recipe is mine initially anyway, because while recipes are very specific, they're all very similar. Right. And then the next step is how do you protect something once it goes out into the world on social media because you want the marketing effect, but you also want to protect the thing that's yours. So, yeah, that's a loaded question, but a it's really common two, one. Two questions. <laughs> yeah, but but it's a really common one. I think, uh, particularly focusing on food, uh, we talked about uh, 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 trademarks. 
We talked about copyright already very, very briefly. But uh, there's also the idea of patents, right, which are if you have uh, some sort of, um, of idea that's based in some type of science or process or method or whatever. Those are the three types of intellectual property. The reason why I bring them all up is because any idea, and particularly we'll always keep to the food uh, 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 part of this, is not protectable unless you do something about it. You take the idea out of your head and you do something about it. So let's take Cronut. So Cronut, she has an idea for a recipe. She has an idea for blending two types of, uh, of, of products together. And she names it Cronut, right? She brands it Cronut. <clears throat> and then she potentially, uh, the, the question is always, can she protect the actual recipe, the idea of putting them together. So she can definitely protect the brand, which goes a long way, right? Because if somebody came out with uh, Docro, like let's say they wanted to flip the name, right? Her trademark protection for Crone or, or, or not Cronut or Nutcro or something like right. that. Let's say they flipped the name. Her protection for the trademark would definitely uh, help her there. But when you come to recipes, if you are not doing something original – then you don't either get a copyright. And if you're not doing something novel that's based in, let's say, science, then you're not going to get a patent. And so recipes, just like you said, they really are just an amalgamation of things that we deal with all the time, measurements. Uh, maybe you change a measurement here and there. So it's nothing really original. However, the, 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 the loophole here is for recipes is that if you have a bunch of recipes, let's say the cronut uh, 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 inventor, we'll call her, or baker, she, she, uh, uh, she, she created a, a, a book of recipes for cronuts. So in, individually, each recipe is not protected by, let's say, copyright or patent. But if she put them all together, if she compiled them, then that book would be protected by copyright because it's fixed in this book. There's some originality to the way she's putting all the recipes together, maybe adding some pictures, maybe adding something original. There's that. If the cronut actually, let's say, lowered blood sugar or something like that, or let's say it helped with your digestive process, and she was able to prove that, that would be the science part that she would be able to protect for the actual product itself. So you almost have to think of it as, okay, you have a product, maybe it's food. What exactly type, what type of protection am I getting? For sure, branding, right? Uh, if it's just a recipe, a little bit harder. But if it's, if it's a, a compilation of recipes for that specific product, great. If the food product is, now we're talking about food, not apps or anything yet, but if the food product can actually uh, scientifically do something to the body, and how you can prove that by, going, by taking it to a, uh, a, a lab or, or doing some type of study to see how it affects the body, then you can potentially get protection for that too. Um, yeah, so that's a, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty loaded answer. Uh, one, one more just comment about the, about the social media. Assuming you have all your protection, or maybe you don't, and you post your pictures online, social media, we are definitely living in a culture, a, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, a rerun or dubbing Re culture. Reposting, yeah, remixing, like, correct, remixing. appropriating. Right? Wait, that, that, is just, that is just life today. Flat out copying. Flat out copying. Totally. <laughs> it's out of control straight what is up, happening. Straight up ripping, <laughs> plagiarizing. Infringing. Totally. Cut, cut and pasting. Yes. So these things become crucially important. <laughs> but you have to realize as a, as a creator, putting it on social media 
almost automatically means, if you read the terms of use, and we all should, we we don't do that when we post on Instagram, we post on Twitter, but if you read it, it actually says that what you're putting out into the world. You don't own anymore. You don't own anymore. So there's ways to really market and brand strategically. You can still use Twitter and and Instagram and all that, but, uh, but if you had your protection first... And then if you put it on these sites and it goes out to the world as a way of marketing and getting your name or your, your product out there, you know at least you can fall back on your protections and not rely on uh, 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 your popularity to potentially uh, uh, stop someone from infringing because you were first to market or something like that. So one of the important things it sounds like is to be either trademarking or copywriting your name the name of the product. In this case, we're talking about the Cronut, but it's exactly the same scenario as Xerox. Yes. It's actually the name of a company. Xerox is a trademark name of a company that makes machines that make photocopies. Yes. But it became so ubiquitous, people call a photocopy a Xerox. Right. Incorrectly so. Right. And there's the same thing with corporate names and business names where the name of the product became so ubiquitous people often use it as the category versus the name kleenex is one xerox is one windex is another one you know that kind of thing and if you think about it something like kleenex is a brand yeah the the generic term is Facial tissue. Yes, totally. <laughs> totally. I could not have said it better myself. But that is usually when that happens to your brand, that's a pretty good problem to have in it some is. in some sense, right? It is. It, but, the, rec- uh, the universal recognition. Yes, yes. Yes. But then everybody thinks that all facial tissue is Kleenex. Correct. All Kleenex is facial tissue, but all facial tissue is not Kleenex. Could you imagine how the person who <laughs> branded es- who, who who branded the moving stairs escalator feels? Right. We never say we always say escalator also, but really escalator is a brand. So it's up to it, 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 it's up to your listeners, innovator, creators, chefs to make sure that the brand that they pick, they teach the public how to use it. If it be, starts to become ubiquitous or generic, you have to you have to fix that. So Google's on a, on a really big uh, uh, kind of marketing uh, uh, play in the last four or five years to make sure that people don't say, oh, Google it, right? Just Google it, right? You use Google to do a search. You don't Google it. So the minute you start to be, the minute it starts to become a verb, it starts to right. you know die this death of genericness. We call it genericide. So if I'm creating a, a pastry that I want the world to just be completely in demand for, is it important to start with a name that doesn't exist yet? Yes. The name, the word cronut did not exist yet, and I don't know what type of. Uh, research or searchability or, you know, surveys Dominique did when he was developing the recipe or the name. But is it useful if you think you really have a a product or a brand that's going to be a home run to sit down first and search the internet and search the trademark and register mark databases to see if it already exists? Without a doubt. I, I cannot stress that. If, if your listeners learn anything from me in terms, of, in terms of trademark law, it's that. It's to make sure that the mark you're using is not only distinctive, but it's also not conflicting with another mark. It's not confusingly similar to another mark. And the way you do that, you don't have to hire an attorney 
immediately, you can go to www.uspto.gov. That's United States Patent Trademark Office, uspto.gov. Click on trademarks, click on search, do a search, and at least you'll be able to see if there's a, a hundred of the same mark or one of the same mark. Another thing you can do is you can go to like GoDaddy and you can search to see whether there are domain names which uh, are conflicting with your trademark. So if somebody owned cronut.com, Dominique would probably, you know, have to look into that a little bit. Maybe because people tend to use their brand to match their domain names. So do- domain names are evidence of your trademark and brand usage. Which is why you get a lot of weirdly spelled startup companies yes. where it's Fiverr, no E, three R's. That's because so true. <laughs> Fiverr spelled grammatically correctly for the, you know, has English been dictionary has been taken and right. somebody's parked it. Because right. there are people who make money yes. out of buying URLs and yes. then just sitting on them and waiting for someone to come and buy it from them. Yes. Uh, can we? T- I want to talk about that for a second. It's called cyber squatting. It's completely illegal. Cyber squatting. Yeah. Completely illegal. Completely. If you, if you, in this world, if you own a domain name and you are not using the corresponding trademark to that domain name, let's say Fiverr, F-I-V-R dot com, you own it. Your brand is F-I-V-R. Like so you're, you, th- this other individual wants F-I-V-R. And you go to Fiverr.com and the person wants $5,000 for it. I always tell my clients, don't ever pay more than $3.99 for a domain name. What you do is you get the corresponding trademark registration. And then there's a process that you can file with ICANN, which is the people that give out the domain names. It's called the Internet Company for Assumed Names and Numbers, for Assigned Names and Numbers. They're the people who give out the domain names through GoDaddy and stuff like that. You file a document with them and you say... We have the corresponding trademark to that parked domain name. This person is uh, holding it hostage. They don't have a legitimate claim to it. We do because we have the corresponding trademark registration. Can you force the transfer to us? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So in a, real life situ- in a real life scenario, because actually one comes to mind, I know a chef who has registered his name as a trademark. So that he can own his name and that his name cannot be used anywhere without his approval. Love it. And he did that after reading different accounts of other chefs who legally lost the right to use their names in the business sphere um, because their partners took it or the business entity that they created owned it. Right. So he owns the trademark of his name. Someone else has the URL that is hisname.com and right. wants a couple of grand for it. Uh, I so, would tell him to call me. Okay. <laughs> sure. No, because you're right. But then I, I, I don't think I knew until this moment that you said it that it's illegal to do that. Correct. I thought it was just one of those like... The first one to make the move gets, gets it, the, gets it, and right. then they can do whatever they want with it. I thought it was just sort of a you know whoever hustles first wins, but I didn't realize that they're legally people are not allowed to do that if you own the trademark. Correct, because if you think about it, the 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 domain world, the internet, knew that marketing was inextricably combined with with trademark and branding. 
And so they created these rules specifically for this, pur- for this purpose. Your chef friend has even more reason in, in this case because only he, well, he, he owns the right to his name because we all own the right to our names, but now he's actually creating a business under his name, which means he has the legitimate right to the domain name. Somebody else is using it, not in the way that he should be using it or that, it, or that, or that the domain name was intended to be used. And so he, if he can prove bad faith, which is easy, I think, in this situation, and he can show his legitimate claim, then yes, he can force the transfer. The only way that the person who actually owns it can keep it is if they prove that they have a legitimate claim to it. I can't, it'd be hard pressed to think of a good reason. Right. You know? And the fact that it's just sitting there and not doing anything <coughs> is just proof positive that they're not doing anything Correct. legitimately with it. That's extortion. That's cyber squatting. That's completely bad faith. That could be transferred over. You, you, you file this document called a, a UDRP with ICANN, the Uniform Dispute Resolution Proceeding. And within 60 days, 60 days, you can get it transferred. Amazing mm-hmm. advice. I am just speechless, so much so that we're going to take this moment to take a pause and hear from our amazing sponsors. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Well, if you've just joined us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is a legal one. We are talking with David Patalski, who is an intellectual property and patent attorney um, who really specializes in startup, business, tech, food law in this arena. He's also an instructor at the International Culinary Institute in their chef entrepreneurial program and a professor at Parsons, where he teaches people about how to protect their company brand, their intellectual property, their recipes, their ideas um, in the marketplace, particularly in the era of social media and the internet. So this is, I mean, there's so many things. One show is, is not going to do it justice. And if the, we'll have to reschedule you to come back again, I think in the summer when the weather's nice and, <laughs> and we're not worried about some incoming... And I'll spend the night in Brooklyn. <laughs> ...snowmageddon uh, to prevent you from getting here. This is the second time we've tried to get David on the show. The first time he was snowed out and we had to cancel. And this time he was delayed because of snow again. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. <laughs> Um, so we talked in the first half of the show about legal advice for trademarking, copywriting and watermarking, uh, visual photos for the internet. We also talked about, um, 
URLs and how your name and if you own the trademark legally, you should be able to have that URL because people who buy URLs and just sit on them, um, that's actually cyber squatting and it's actually illegal, which is amazing. Yes, yes. Most people don't know. It's unbelievable. I, I, I blame... I blame the education system, which is probably why I, you know, try to teach teachers how to incorporate intellectual property in these concepts uh, from K through 12. It's important that our, you know, the new entrepreneurs of America, the new chefs, the new innovators know this and that they, they don't pay even more than $10 for, from, uh, from, from somebody that's extorting them for their domain name, just, which happens all the time. So one of the things... There, there's so much about the internet that is intimidating to people and figuring all these things out is, is very intimidating. And to your point, I don't think anybody really reads the terms of use um, when they sign up and download different apps. Um, terms of use on GoDaddy and the internet and all these different kinds of things, people are unaware of it. When you're navigating a business and opening a business or running a business, there's so much to consider and it's also expensive legal fees, but I, I note that one of the things that you're involved in is uh, one of the first pro bono patent programs yes. in the state Yes. Um, with volunteer lawyers for the arts. Correct. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Because typically people who are artists and creators, whether it's food or music or writing or podcasts, are typically not big businesses with you know, in-house counsel and a lot of money to spend on these kinds of things. So this program sounds very interesting and also very needed. Yes, uh, it, it was particularly uh, uh, kind of soul satisfying for me to be involved in this. Uh, I spent the first part of my career at very large firms, uh, probably turning away the, that, that type of client uh, until I realized uh, uh, internally that I was not happy and that I wanted to devote my legal career to the person that had no money, the startup, the inventor, people that had real innovation but couldn't push it forward because they had no money. And so uh, 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 along with that and finding a home, finding a firm where I am today, uh, I also helped create the patent pro bono program at VLA volunteer lawyers for the arts. And the reason why we did that is because President Obama, when he changed the patent law in our country after 200 years with something called the America Invents Act, which now means that if you have an idea for a patent, you have to file your application right away. Uh, it used to be that if you invented something you know, a few years ago and then filed your patent uh, three or four years later, if you can prove that you invented it three or four years, that would be your invention date. But, in, but today, now your invention date is the day you file your application, which means everybody has to run to the patent office. And just like you said, nobody has money to do that. And so part of that new law was President Obama saying, we have to make it easy for entrepreneurs and for innovators who don't have money and artists to get pro bono services. And so right now, as of uh, uh, December 31st, 2015, every state in the union has a patent pro bono program. Um, the, the one we're talking about today is the New York one. It's a, it's a, it's a great program. There's a huge waiting list. That is the, I think that's, uh, unfortunately, it's so new and people ran to it. Uh, there's not enough attorneys on, on, on the other side helping these people. So there is definitely a waiting list. But yes, you can literally get free pro bono 
uh, services. You can get an attorney to search your invention or your app, and you can and, and you can get them to file the application. But you have to meet an income requirement, right? There's an income threshold. Um, it's about $50,000, which is three times the national poverty level of $18,000. But if you qualify, you are only responsible for the filing fees, and the filing fees are severely reduced for these types of individuals. And so it's been really great. It's been really soul-satisfying. I, I handled about six or seven cases, um, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty neat. Uh, I, 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 I would agree that not most attorneys... Uh, think this way uh, because if we if they if they did we probably there probably wouldn't be a wait list for people wanting to use it. Um, but separately, volunteer lawyers for the arts has been around for I don't know maybe thirty or forty years. So before they were doing patent pro bono, they do trademark and copyright uh, uh, help as well. So so an artist can can get help there as well. I think it's about a hundred dollars uh, filing fee or something like that to to actually register your need with them and then they'll match you up with an attorney very neat very cool so much good advice so much great legal advice packed into one show um thank you so much david for coming out to share this with us if you want to follow david on twitter follow him at david patalski d-a-v-i-d p-o-s-t-o-l-s-k-i he's an attorney at gerhardt law you can find them at g E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W dot com. Listen to the show again. There's a lot of great uh, places to go and websites to look at for information. You can download the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. You can listen to it on demand at heritageradionetwork.org. If you like the show, come back and see us on Thursdays at 11 a.m. If you love the show, click the beating heart on the Heritage Radio Network website. Make a donation. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. We subsist entirely on donations from members and our underwriters. If you designate your donation to Tech Bytes, I will send you something very special along with my undying love. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.